Welcome. Life Before Medicine begins right now. I am your host, Dr. Chris Crawford, board-certified urogynecologist here today with my co-host, Heather Dibke. Life Before Medicine is an educational service intended to help people avoid the need for medical intervention. We are very fortunate today. Today's topic is grief and grieving, and we're here today with Emilio Parga, former elementary school teacher and school counselor, and the founder and executive director of the Solace Tree, a nonprofit grief and loss center for children, teens, and adults, located in Reno, Nevada. He's the author of No Child Should Grieve Alone and many other journals for children and teens experiencing death and loss. Celebrating 20 years at Solace Tree, Emilio has co-founded numerous grief centers in Nevada, and one in New York after 9-11. He teaches courses at the University of Nevada, Reno, on dying and loss, and is frequently consulted to support in the aftermath of traumatic events, such as school shootings, mass shootings, both locally and nationally. Emilio and his staff also run school-based grief support groups for children and teens and have experienced all types of loss, um, he also serves as a bereavement counselor, trainer to social services, hospitals, funeral homes, first responders, and businesses. Amelia, thank you so much for taking the time to be on Life Before Medicine. This is such an important topic because this is an inevitability. The experience of grief is an inevitability. And if we can shed a little bit of light on the normalcy of grieving, when grieving becomes dysfunctional, how to approach it if you're the griever, and how to support someone grieving if they're a loved one. Um, I think that these are skills that we should take stock of sooner rather than later because, as I stated, the process of grief is an inevitability for all of us. Emilio, welcome and thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. This is exciting. Well, good, good, good. Can we start yeah, out? Super excited. Let's just sort of a um, try and put a ring around this thing called grieving, what it is and what it is not. Maybe you can sort of, in broad strokes, help our audience understand exactly what we're going to be talking about today. So we're we're talking about at first when we started this about grieving. We saw kids grieving the loss of a move, incarceration, a divorce, abuse, and, and all types of deaths. When we were looking support, because as a school counselor, there's only so much I can do, and I was busy at the time 21 years ago, and we knew these kids were grieving because it showed up in school, um, you know, their behavior. They were in my friendship groups or my anger management groups. They weren't doing well in school. Um, they, they were playing soccer, but they were kind of lethargic. Somatic, they had somatic symptoms. They were just grieving a loss. Every time I use those words, grieving, it's 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 a grieving a loss, either due to death or other losses. Because death, there's death, and then everything else is secondary. Secondary. So really, the grieving is um, they can't sleep. They're having somatic symptoms. They can't, you know, they're not doing well in school. They're having relationship problems, and it's catching up because they're not talking about it and they're not working through it. So it's just sitting there it's called this big hurt in their heart and in their stomach. And they're trying to just navigate throughout the day, them grieving a divorce or an abuse, or they were told they were bullied 
or someone died and nobody explained it or helped help support them process it. So that's why we got all into this 20 years ago because kids were just grieving and they just couldn't concentrate in school and they were having a lot of other issues. I think that is epidemic in our society, in our culture, maybe afforded by the Puritan roots of this country, the, the idea of stiff upper lip and don't show weakness and individual autonomy and don't burden others with your uh, problems, whereas perhaps in other cultures, grieving is accepted and more readily approached and worked through. Do you th- does that make sense to you that maybe some cultures are more um, validating of this normal part of life and process, while others are more congested and maybe, you know, um, don't give people an allowance to express and work through and process their grief? Yes, and, and, and through, you know, research and, and working with older adults, like the ones who were, you know, young enough to know more about the World War II and John F. Kennedy assassination, it was talked about then because they were able to talk about it, but then it just changed. And there's so many other cultures and religions and countries that are so much older than us, they were already talking about it because death was happening way before, mm. you know, this American society was ha- happening. So it was just, it was a custom. They had traditions, they had rituals based on culture and religion, and they were already doing traditions and cultures and doing ways and celebrating and honoring the people who died. Whereas American society just kind of got like, whoa, let's not talk about it. Don't we do that? We have this sort of ritualized sequestration of death and dying. Like most people can go through their entire childhood, young adulthood and never see a dead body. We hide it and we deny it. Whereas, you know, like from what I understand in Greek in Greek, society it's not uncommon to hire a crier at a funeral to get things going right mm-hmm. to help people initiate to stimulate the process of of, of letting out normal feelings of loss yeah um and yeah. and i know from the work i've done in west africa in niger you know by the time you're 20 years old you've witnessed dozens of deaths Right. It, and they, yeah. uh, and that's just not true in this country. So we, I think, probably, and I'd be interested to hear what you think, wind up ill prepared when it does happen. Right. Very ill prepared. And, and, and know that if in Reno, Nevada is so different than Fallon, Nevada or Austin, Nevada, mm. because there's those rural country, uh, counties, you know, cities where where there's death on the farm and the ranch and then the dogs are dying and cows are dying and they're putting certain animals to sleep where there's just death because that's part of their, their food chain, right? Or yeah. their lifestyle. Whereas here we live in a city, we just don't see it. We buy the meat. Right. When a dog dies, we cremate it or we just take it to the veterinarian. We're done. Right. Or we get a new dog. So there's no, there's no grieving or mourning. It's just like, let's just get a new dog because people are saying you can get another dog or gosh, that dog lasted 15 years. We'll just get you a puppy. And it just, they kind of move on from it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Define for us what is a normal grieving process and when that grieving process becomes dysfunctional, when, when they, um, the, the effects of grief start um, to, I, I don't know if that's defined in length of time or its impact on your job or relationships or what have you, but I'm sure you have uh, an opinion about when grief tr- uh, transitions from 
I, I don't want to use the words normal, abnormal, but mm-hmm, from, a, mm-hmm. from a functional to dysfunctional state. You know, everyone's so different. And uh, grief is such a natural and normal way that we grieve as an American culture. And I think in, in, in general, in the world, something happens and we're sad. And then what do we do with that? Do we not talk about it? Do we, do we celebrate it? Do we honor it? Does, does it take days and weeks based on culture and religion? And a lot of adults, um, a lot of people um, were either taught or not taught how to grieve based on how they were taught. So our parents, right? And then their parents based on where they're from and the type of death. And so a lot of the death that happens, whether if it's a suicide or homicide or a car accident or cancer, depends on how that how those parents were taught because they're going to teach those children. And a lot of it is just modeling. And a lot of times they'll just shut it down or don't think it's important because it was a caregiver or it was a step parent or, or we were divorced and it was your mom, but we're just, we're not going to really just talk about it because based on that man's, you know, experience in the grieving world or how he was uh, brought up and how he was taught about grief based on culture and religion. It really goes back to that foundation where they were raised, what part of the country they were raised and what they were taught. And then it becomes complicated in that they shut down. They don't talk about it. And it, it, it affects relationships. It affects school. And they have this, this um, it's like the secondary, secondary loss for them. And, and they get depressed or they use alcohol and it, de- it decreases workplace productivity, but also in sports and in music, things, things start to shut down. So, you know, I, I don't know if there's a month thing. I've seen certain areas where it's six months or, or 12 months to like now it becomes complicated. But I read in a book and uh, it was in 1938 that the best way to get through grief is to uh, grieve. <laughs> other than that, that old adage, you know, time heals all wounds. A lot of people don't want to hear that because they just need to grieve it out. And that's where we're at today. We're seeing so much death on our phones and we're talking about it by the water cooler or, or not. And it's on the radio. And, and so now we're being able to talk about it more. It's not this huge iceberg, right. but it's kind of softening things. But there's still people who are like, well, I don't want to hear about it because I always go back to from what we've learned in 20 years how that child, teen, or adult was raised. And so they're trying to do things differently. So what I hear you saying is that grief is a normal process. If it is not allowed to proceed, in some cases, grief becomes complex grief. And grief in itself is not a disease, but complex grief might lead to a disease like addiction, like depression, um, yes. other behavioral yes. consequences. But grief is not a disease. It's just the inability to process it safely, securely, might lead to behavioral disease, um, like I mentioned. Does that sound right to you? It is right. And we don't use the word unresolved grief anymore. It's called unprocessed or unaddressed because no one's trying to resolve their grief. It, it's a, it takes a lifetime to really, you know, to get through all of this. It's just how can we process this? How can we honor and celebrate and commemorate, memorialize it for a lifetime? But also, if we have children or teenagers, to carry on those traditions and rituals, but also start anew so they can also start anew and so they can help their children or their, their, their brother or sister's children if they don't have children. We're just trying to process it through seasons, right? Mm-hmm. Right now we're in the fall, and it's just, it's just it's, it's, it's every day. 
it's every day just trying to get through this because then it does cause, like you said, um, a decrease in a workplace productivity, depression, substance abuse, crime, and even incarceration, right. incarceration. Right. I, okay. So, um, that makes sense to me that, and I know a little bit about being a loved one of a grieving person. So having gone through this, I can speak um, from personal experience about what not to do. <laughs> I've learned a lot about grief by behaving badly myself. And I didn't do it to hurt anyone. I didn't do it out of malice, of course. I did it out of inexperience and ignorance and so what I have learned as a consequence of encouraging a loved one to time to move on, let's get past this, is that the, the idea isn't to get past it, but find a way to live with a new reality. And at least that is what I've gleaned from this, and that there isn't a timeline that defines how long someone grieves, because to a certain extent, the grief never really leaves you. That loss doesn't change, Right. But you find a way, of hopefully, eventually, to live despite the loss. Absolutely, and I love what you said. We talk about learning to live with this, not get over it. Yeah, we're not trying to get over it. We're just, and it's in our whether. And you know, not everybody who dies is loved, but there's someone's missing, and there was traditions and rituals, and this person was part of our family or our, our work group, or our neighborhood, or a pastor. And so we're now learning to live with this, this loss in our life, this passing, this, this emptiness. Yeah. You know, the, the silver lining on that dark cloud is that I have also witnessed if you transit a, a grief process with someone you love and get to the, uh, not, not that they resolve their grief, but if you go through it with them, your relationship with that person is much richer, much stronger, more bonded. It's a beautiful reward that comes from grieving um, alongside with somebody you love. My wife and I once, we, I was doing some surgical relief work in Rwanda, and we, at that time in our lives, were interested in adopting children. We went to an orphanage in Rwanda and found two um, young girls age 8 and 11 that we wanted to adopt. And so we were ready to bring these girls to the United States and completely commit ourselves to them and were th informed that they, because the orphanage had assumed at, because of their age they were not going to be adopted, they baptized them, and they wouldn't allow a family that wasn't Catholic to adopt these children. So, and it was devastating to us that we, those children would remain in the orphanage until they're 18 and then be released. Um, but going through it with my wife, it was beautiful when we grieved together because neither one of us was trying to fix the other person. We weren't trying to stop each other's grief. We were in it together, and there was something really beautiful about it, you know, despite the pain. There was something about doing it together um, that brought us even closer. And it was so, it was so organic. Yeah. It's not a good word for it. It just, it just started happening. You're supporting each other. 
you're on the same page and you get to support each other. Yeah. And it's amazing. In the grieving world for children, that's called magic. I don't know what it's called for adults, but it's like something's happening. And like, this is like magic. It's like, it's wonderful. Yeah. We're all, we're supporting each other and we're on the same page and it's happening. We both feel good about this. Yeah. It's interesting to recognize that you can feel intense sadness and be okay at the same time. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> I, I think if we've never, if we don't have a lot of experience processing intense sadness, it occurs to us that we are not okay when we're in it, but it can come to pass that you can be in it and also say, I'm, I am okay. I am just not just, but I am sad. Yes. You know? Yes. And, and I think that is sort of a healthy healing step. I don't know. Heather, what do you think about all this? What do you think about this topic and, and, and either personally or from experience helping others? I mean, it, it's, it's something that's touched or will touch every human being. Absolutely. And I like what you talked about earlier, Emilio, that we don't always know how to deal with it um, in our culture because we don't see it as frequently as people in other countries might. And when my grandmother passed, my daughter was very little. She was, you know, maybe like five years old. And I, we were on our way to the funeral home and I'm like, do we let her go in? Do we not? It's going to be an open casket. What do we do? You know, I didn't want to make a mistake. And so we talked to the people at the funeral home and they said the best thing you could do if she has an interest is to let her come in. Because if she doesn't see her great grandmother, in the casket dead, she might have a perception of death that is much scarier than the reality of it. And it was so interesting because she walked right up to the casket. She looked at her great grandmother and she's like, mom, they did such a great job on her makeup. I think super grandma would like the fact that they did her makeup so well. Mm. And that was it. It, You know, it was, it was such an interesting thing to witness having a young child and and how they perceived it um as opposed to you know me being sad as an adult and it i think it helped her grieve in a way that was healthy and to recognize that her grandmother would have liked how they did her makeup it's beautiful and i want to say too for her if she it's a foundation and you modeled that and you supported it and you listened to it and you were with her for that and it was just a beautiful way to prepare her for the next death because there's going to be so many others, but mm-hmm. you made it so easy. Mm. You just, it was, it was just so easy for her. And, and it really sets up, you know, it's, it now you'll strengthen the foundation for other, other deaths. So that's beautiful. I'm glad you did that. We yeah. really try and encourage families when they ask, I don't want to tell anybody what to do. We all have different parenting styles, but when yeah. I encourage it, they're like, we did it. Thank you. Or we're not sure if we're there yet, but thank you. So at least offer. Yes. And I was kind of struck by the fact that on the way there, I'm like, I don't know what to do. Is yeah. you know, is it healthy to let her go in? Is it not healthy? You know, what, what's the right thing to do? So I thought the nursing home handled it really well too. And I never thought about the fact that if we prevent her from having that grieving opportunity, she could have a perception of death that is far more scary than the reality of it. 
Absolutely. I think that's got to be true. You know, we are such protectionists with our children. Mm -hmm. We never want them to have pain. We never want them to have fear. We never want them to have disappointment. But what happens if you grow up, and, and beyond the topic of grieving, if you've not learned how to deal with feelings of disappointment, if you've not learned how to deal with feelings of anger, right? And now you're, you look like an emotional adult, <laughs> but you don't have the skill set, you know. And I, and I think, you know, allowing our children to be exposed to a range of emotions is, is important, Albeit difficult for a parent that, you know, you love your child, you don't want them to feel sad, but it's important they experience sadness, right? I'd like to read a quote from Mr. Rogers, who was doing videos and books on death in the 60s after JFK was assassinated, Bobby Kennedy was assassinated, Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated, and during the Vietnam War when he started his programming, it's exactly what you, uh, what you were talking about. But he says this in, in the late 60s. I'm convinced that when we help our children find healthy ways of dealing with their feelings, ways that don't hurt them or anyone else, we're helping to make our world a safer, better place. And he said this in the 60s when all that stuff was happening. But his studio was saying, don't talk about death. Don't do this. Don't start talking about it. You're going to lose viewers. He's like, no, we have to find a way. And he did. And I can leave you with one more quote with what he said after he did all this. He said, what's mentionable is manageable, and what's manageable is mentionable. Kids will listen to you, and they'll talk to you as long as they know that you're listening and you're present. And I just – it was a huge mm. catalyst when we started this program. Like, he was doing that in the 60s? Where, what's going on? So it was just a beautiful way to help me as a professional adult say, we can do this. Yeah. So Emilio, that's regarding death, but there's a lot of other forms of grief. You mentioned helping kids deal with divorce. Yes. Um, you know, I have a daughter with chronic illnesses that have drastically changed the quality of her life. And she has moments where we grieve who she used to be and who she's not going to be able to be, you know, in the future. So what do you have to say about like non-death grieving? Yeah. Does that look different? It looks different and then and that because we work with a lot of children who are living with someone with cancer, illness, or disease, or their sibling has it. Mm-hmm. And of course, I've learned this. I mean, everything I've been talking about is stuff that we've learned and, and, and some stuff in the books, but you really learn by doing. And it's it's being hopeful. It's asking them what they want to do. It's sharing. It's listening. That quote by Mr. Rogers was for all loss. What's mentionable is manageable. What's manageable is mentionable. Kids will talk to you about us with anything as long as they know that we're listening. So in the case that you just said or what you just told me, as long as that we're listening and we're being present and, and we're trying to help and we're being hopeful and we're crying with them, we're laughing with them, we're hugging with them, we're drawing with them, it just gives them more insight to know that, wow, you know, I'm getting help, I'm getting support here, I'm getting love, and we're just getting through this together. Mm-hmm. So whether it's, whether it's an illness or it's a divorce, or it's an incarceration, or even if it's foster care. It's just all this stuff that we're doing is we're just listening and we're being present. And we're asking them, what would you like to do now? What are some things you haven't done? Let's go try and do them mm-hmm. based on money, time constraints, school days, vacation days, the season, et cetera. Really just giving them, seeing what we can you know, do for them. Was that helpful? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I was just curious your thoughts on that. If, yeah. 
if it looks different, you know, helping a child or a young adult deal with the death of someone versus, you know, like a divorce situation or a chronic illness. And, so. and you're already doing it. We're just not using, you know, we're just not talking about the permanency piece, trying to go through the developmental mm-hmm. stages, trying to get them to understand so-and-so is never, ever coming back. Like when we go in a classroom, we talk about an empty desk or an empty uh, desk at a workplace. Mm-hmm. We're just talking about current stuff. And we're talking about stuff like today and today's, you know, like today in the week and then leading up into the weekend. What are some things you want to do as opposed to when it's just death? It's everyone's going through something different. And there's so many grieving styles. There's so many parenting styles. Mm -hmm. There's so many beliefs. And then you add in culture and religion. And so there's so many, there's so many barriers. Whereas with what you're talking about, we're just experiencing this and we're working on it together each day. Mm Mm-hmm. I so, think that's Emilio, is it possible to even move through the grieving process to a point where you become grateful for the experience? Is it possible that at some point an individual feels an additional richness or range of emotion that allows them to live their lives in a more meaningful way? Do, do you ever find people that that end up after a period of time, um, grateful for having had that process? Yes, because in these adult groups, they talk about the, the guilty piece. Am, am I going to smile again? And others in the group are like, well, I am smiling again, but I'm remembering him. I'm remembering her. We still have her room, her bedroom as a child, as a shrine or the living room where we've kept the car. And they're not moving on from it, but they're living and they're hearing from others that it's okay to live this, to smile this, to vacation this, to to buy this. And so they get to hear that commonality normalcy. And so, of course, they're still sad. They're still hurting. There's reminders. You know, there's, there's anniversaries, there's birthdays, there's seasons, there's just days, there's grief bursts. So all these things are happening. But there is joy in the sorrow. Every time I speak, I always bring that up. And I can say this because of the work that I'm in. 20 years later, I've learned that there is joy in the sorrow and that's celebrating, that's honoring, that's commemorating the person who's no longer here. They miss them, but they're starting to live more. And I want to say moving on, but living more with them not being here and celebrating, honoring, throwing ashes and having a birthday cake on a specific time or traveling and saying, wish you were here Mm. and we're doing this for you. So there is joy in the sorrow. Yeah, I think that is hard to see when you're just beginning a process, mm-hmm. yes, but it might yes. be good to hear, hang on, this, yeah, yeah. this has, <laughs> a, you know, an evolving uh, quality to it that, that can offer um, gratitude um, at some point. Now, I wonder, we always try and lay out a few, maybe two, maybe three practical things people can do to help themselves through this process, at least the initial phases of it, that might have the benefit of lowering the chance that the grief becomes complex and manifests as other behavioral problems or or disruptions to their lives that could be avoided. What are a couple of things that people can do on their own to avoid the need for a medical intervention? You know, I say this because I've learned it, but I've learned it from a lot of adults who have been through eight months, two years, six years, et cetera. And, 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 and it first comes to my mind is 
having other adults tell other adults, give yourself permission to grieve. You can be mad. You can be sad. You can talk about it. You can be angry. You, you, you can break those dishes. You can throw a ball against the wall. You can. And, and I love that piece because these are the ones who have been through it. Well, whether it's less than a year or it's three years, whether their spouse died or their child died, it's giving them permission to grieve, to say, yeah, you're going to have days, but sometimes it's okay to not be okay. Yeah. So I've really learned that in 20 years and it's just beautiful because they're just saying you're, you're not there yet. But this is where we're at years later. So we just want you to remind you, give yourself permission to grieve. I love that. I think that is essential and probably something one would apply almost like a mantra because you're going to have to keep reminding yourself over and over. Because grief, in my experience, is like a mugger. You never know when it's going to attack. You know what I mean? And you can be cool. Like you can feel like, oh, I'm doing better. I'm doing better. And then for no apparent reason, out of the blue, it attacks. And and you are Mm -hmm. right back in the thick of it again. And so be having that mantra at hand that says, it's okay for me to go through this. And I know I'm going to experience people that want to help, but don't get it. You know, Mm -hmm. people Mm -hmm. that, that you will feel say the wrong thing. And cutting them, Absolutely. cutting those people a little bit of slack is important, you know, to, you know, like they don't know any better, right? Even if, you know, something as banal is, and, and I don't think this is banal personally, but some people might think losing a pet doesn't really amount to significant grief. To me, it does. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. people say, well, mm-hmm. you should get another dog or you should get another mm-hmm. cat. Mm-hmm. They don't mean anything harmful by no. it. They don't no. mean to, no. but to someone that wants their old dog <laughs> that doesn't that doesn't sound helpful but we're surrounded by people <laughs> that are just doing the best they can and sometimes their best isn't helpful but they're right. trying right. to be helpful and um and and I think you can expect a lot of that uh, especially after a major grief like losing a loved one absolutely absolutely number 2 I want to bring this up cuz it came up during covid cuz we had extra time we had extra time and, and we, we were still, we still did things. We took about three months off and we still, we went to a park and we're all outside. But I love this one adult said, and almost everybody agreed, whether the person who died is loved or not, and you have children or you have siblings, and this was your spouse or a sibling or a child. But I love how they said, my child, my spouse, my brother deserves my grief. Mm-hmm. Grief is about love. And we need to grieve it out. It's not a time thing. It's let's grieve it out. Let's celebrate. Let's honor. Let's commemorate. Let's let's moralize. Let's cook a special dinner. And I love that, that they're saying they deserve my grief, whether it was good or bad, because this adult was in this relationship and, and they're no longer here. Or this adult gave me these children and they're no longer here, but they deserve our grief. And I just, I love the way that was put. I love that. I, yeah, and I've even heard it said that my grief builds a frame around my gratitude. Oh, yeah. It builds it. a yep. frame around my gratitude. It helps me see my gratitude more clearly. And, um, and I really appreciate that. And I really appreciate you, Amelia. Amelia, are there resources if people want more information? Do you have I know you've got a wealth Mm -hmm. of information on your website and I will include that link, 
but are there books that you have found to be more helpful or websites? I'm going to say this because it's, 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 it's the biggest bereavement catalog in the world. And I just, sometimes I just, I've, I have people go there because there's so many books that are just specialized and it's broken down on this webpage for children, just for teens. And a lot of it is death. A lot of it is cancer and illness. And they're still now starting to get divorced and incarceration involved there because the Sesame street now building these books on divorce, incarceration, and I think illness, but it's called the centering corporation and it's just centering.org and they're out of Omaha. And when you go to centering.org, there's books by genre based on death and illness and, and other losses, but mostly death. And then people can just pick and choose. And they're not like huge textbooks. They're guidebooks that might be anywhere from 10 to 50 pages. And, and they're just, I refer people to this, this webpage because it's the biggest one in the world and it's broken down so nicely and easily. And someone who's looking for something for someone or just themselves can just go right to it. Centered.org. Centering.org. Centering.org. Yeah, centering. That's, one, and, that's awesome. And just, I'll include that in the thumbnail. Okay. Oh, that's a great okay. idea. Finally, as we, as we wrap things up, just very quickly, what are your feelings about grief counseling and support groups? Well, you know, we're a support group. I love it. I, I love that people get to come together and know that they're not the only ones. They get to talk about anniversaries, birthdays, children in school, relationships, getting married again, um, uh, and moving, just uh, starting a relationship, just traveling, just support groups are great because people, they're not for everyone, but support groups bring people together to find like they're not the only ones going through it. Mm. and counseling and therapy. I mean, kids that come to the Soul Street also go to counseling and therapy because kids and adults who go to Soul Street or who tried to go to Soul Street need more of a one-on-one, and sometimes we need that, and it's all healthy. Yeah. Sometimes we just need to get it out because we don't know where else to get it out. We're not getting it out at work or with our family members or at recess or at a soccer game, right, or at a concert. So sometimes we need to see professionals or a support group to really help us get stuff out so we can start processing it through our developmental stages. Absolutely true. Emilio Parga, we're grateful for you that you would take the time to talk to us today on Life Before Medicine. This has been a fascinating topic. I feel like we could go on for hours and we could do several more episodes and we barely scratched the surface. But hopefully these words will reach people that need them, that can benefit from them, that can apply the practical tips that you've outlined and help them with a process that is inevitable for all of us. I'm Dr. Bruce Crawford. I'm here today with Heather Dibke. Thank you for listening. We'll be back in a week. We're grateful for you. We'll be with you soon. Thank you.